There's one sister I remember she she's contacted me and she's got a hijab picture on 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 Facebook she says brother were you in Guantanamo I said yes she said so was I I said well there weren't any females in Guantanamo <laughs> as prisoners she said I wasn't a prisoner uh-huh. and she said I was one of your guards and then she explained the story um I saw how the weak amongst you was made stronger by other prisoners uh-huh. my own experience was that when of religion was that when I I uh, feel sad or upset or targeted um I turn to drink drugs alcohol boys etc but you guys turned to your religion you became even stronger and for me that was kind of laid the seed of love of islam in my heart allah akbar and uh, so there are there are multiple mm. stories which it's too many to actually tell you uh, of of people who either became muslims or became so sympathetic to muslims mm. there's a case of steve now recently who's gone to mauritania to meet with muhammad walid salahi who's in guantanamo for 14 years he converted to islam in the desert Um, with the with him and they i think now filming together making a film about his experience so there are too many to tell um mm. and uh, in the end the brothers will say to you if i was the cause of one person coming to islam then those 14 years are more than worth it assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to today's episode of the unscripted podcast i'm your host salman but and today we've um We've been reading some of your comments and your suggestions to get some more uh you know variety and uh, a bit of uh, spice uh on the podcast so we thought let's venture outside of our comfort zone and get someone from Birmingham. Uh we have with us mashallah uh brother Mazenbek. Assalamu alaikum salam. Wa alaikum salam. Allahu How was your trip down from Birmingham? Alhamdulillah it was uh, amazing and I'm glad to be here to make you yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh I love Birmingham, you know. It's a very nice place. I've I've, I've driven through it. Wish I could say something about London. Yeah. But um, uh, we I did make the dua of entering London this morning actually. You know the dua for yes, entering London? Yes, 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 it is. Allahumma iftah li abwaab rahmatik. No, no, it's Allahumma inni a'udhuka min al-khubthi wal khaba'ith. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that one. Knows. You enter with your left foot as well. Yeah, and ghufran of course when you leave. Yeah. That's, that's when you enter East London. No, all of London. No, no, no. Well, we can't we can't accept that now. No. I mean there's this laysu <laughs> sawa'a. You know, there's yeah, there there's is. the east and there's, there's the west. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your trip today? Alhamdulillah, uneventful, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. Alhamdulillah. Do you get any uh, problems at the ports coming into in and out of London? No, but uh, my visa uh, sort of uh, restrictions have been lifted now. Yeah. It's, it's not too bad. You still don't have your passport, do you? No, the passport was taken away yeah. six years ago, despite the fact that clearing police declared me innocent. Uh, actually, use those words, uh, but I still have my passport. That's quite rare, isn't it, for pe- police to declare someone innocent? Usually, just say not guilty, right? That's right. So they went above and beyond what the statement was. So they said that you know, to quote mm. Mozambique, is innocent. But is it innocent? Doesn't mean that you're still not going to be targeted by the security yeah. services. Well, I, I mean, I wanted to um, have you on the podcast for a while, not just to talk about your history and the lessons from, you know, your your time in incarceration and stuff, but because there's a lot of um, you speaking about that online already, and many people, mashallah, know the story. I wanted to get to know. Uh, get under your skin a bit and get to know the real Muslim big. Mm, that sounds so, uh, <laughs> sounds a bit weird, but carry on. <laughs> I don't um I don't mean it's unscripted of course, so we don't have a uh, kind of clear question answer or anything, but other than the script that you showed me yeah, earlier. No, that, that's secret, that's a secret we don't talk sure. about. In fact, okay. we'll just delete this part now. Sure, okay. But uh <laughs> uh what was I going to say? Yeah. Um one thing I like to ask brothers um who've been around for a while, mashallah, to learn uh, learn from their experience and their and their wisdom and the gray hairs 
is to uh, I asked them what advice would you give your younger self? So I don't know why I said man, but when I see you, the first thing I want to do is burst out laughing, and I'm trying to maintain my composure and think. I've got this you know, thing ready. She, she's, you know, you're asking me serious questions, so I have to be serious. Um, what advice can I give to people? I'm, keep learning. You know, life is a journey. And what advice would you sorry would you give to your younger self? So imagine, I don't know. Don't kind do of it. Put words in your. <laughs> don't. Do it. Yeah. Um, Actually, I was meant to do this one. But, uh, no, I've heard that sound enough times. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say because I was growing up at a time where there was it wasn't Islamophobia, but there was racism, yeah. anti-Paki league, anti-black. Uh, yeah, literally, um, na- National Front, British movement. I got beaten up by skinheads by myself. The mm. difference was, I think, for my generation, it was uh, is that we fought back. Literally, we took to the streets and we fought back. Set up gangs that were mixed from Irish, mm. Asian, black. <coughs> uh, and we responded back. It was part of growing up, part of youth, and part of we're not going to take what that. What time period is this? Uh, late 70s, early 80s. Wow. Yeah, sort of so, so, I was know. thinking 90s or something. So no, by the 90s. You're much you know. older than you look, mashallah. Well, let me let me rephrase it this way. You, you look much younger than you really are. <laughs> wait, wait, let me... Uh, <laughs> Never mind. Uh, Never mind. <laughs> Uh, so early, uh, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, mi- early you know, to mid eighties. Yeah, mid eighties. Um, yeah. So That's yeah, when I was born. Mashallah, barakallah. <laughs> Not too. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, so so that's to. pretty much when that game changed, isn't it? <laughs> kind of mid eighties. So yeah, that was born. It is, um, mm. and that of course set the scenes for <laughs> for what we are doing today. Uh, but you know, of course, the language and the narrative that was mm. anti-immigrant, anti-xenophobic um, you xenophobic has become honed in and directed towards Muslims in particular. Yeah. So that organizations today that exist, EDL, BNP before them, and mm. Britain First and all of them, don't say that they're racist. The racist won't say he's racist. But what they will say openly is, is that we're against Islam. Islam is an idea. It's an ideology. Mm. And how can you be racist against an ideology? Um, so... Uh, it, 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 it's fair to is it fair to say that those people who are chasing you down the streets and and kind of trying to beat you up, you know, thirty years ago, forty years ago, that kind of discourse has just superficially morphed into a, a anti-Islam or anti-extremism discourse. But yeah, there's underlying kind of motivations. Yeah, it's not even superficial. It's actually yeah. the stated aim and objective of these organisations. In fact, it's yeah. the stated aim and objectives of some governments in some places, whether it's uh, you know, capitalist America, uh, with its war on terror, or whether it's communist China, yeah. with its uh, what it's doing to the Uyghurs of East Turkestan, um, the narrative is very specifically about Islam. Mm. Um, but just to say, the skinheads, although they chase us up the roads, I want to be clear: we chase them right back. <laughs> I take that, skinheads. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah. Grow some hair too. <laughs> I think uh, we need to check the room before we make any bold jokes. But uh, mm. uh, we have to be bold. Yeah, in our, in yeah our absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Not many people get that no. that that button pressed when yeah. it's something they've said. So, mashallah. Um, so, what advice would you give your younger self then in that in that era? 
because it sounds like you know what you did was the right thing you know standing up for your communities and chasing them back and that kind of stuff if there's any one thing i would say is that one of the difficulties that we've had as muslims in particular today and perhaps you know immigrants in the past that were not mm. not united is unity and the whole concept of being united mm. allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us as muslims wa'tasibu bihablillahi jami'an wa la tafarraqu and if there's anything that i would have advised myself back then in hindsight it would be to work towards unity mm-hmm. work towards your deen understand <coughs> what your religion is and um, subhanallah one of the reasons I, i i would say there are many reasons i started practicing but one of them was because i got beaten up out of outside uh, outside a masjid almost kicked to death by skinheads mm-hmm. and if you allow me to tell you that little story i was walking with a group of friends um, we were about 17 or 18 years old and we went past this famous pub called the mermaid on stratford road in spark hill and a bunch of skinheads oh, uh, yeah well, we must have from the old days heard about it um a bunch of skinheads came out and one of my friends started to fight them he was a taekwondo champion so he thought he'd try <laughs> luck during firing his machine gun kicks and he got a couple of them and then they surrounded him and then they beat yeah. him up what i did is i ran away because that was the best thing i could do um you're nodding your head as if that's something yeah. noble but it's not um just you know yeah something i would do exactly apart from the running part well, walk, walk away, away swiftly okay swiftly <laughs> Uh, I stopped while mm. I was running. I turned around, looked at what was happening to my friend and I made a decision. Mm. And I ran back into the crowd and dived on them, tried to pull them off, got hit, hit them. Yeah, I would and have done that as well. And they left him and then they jumped onto me and they beat mm. the living daylights out of me. Steel toe-cap boots in my head, wow. in my face, mm. all over my body, uh, beer bottles. And I covered up. Uh, I didn't know my religion really that well, but I knew as i do now man qala akhir kalamu la ilaha illallah dakhala aljannah so i screamed out la ilaha illallah with not with that accent with yeah. la ilaha illallah i said it like that allah um, akbar yeah exactly yeah. um and subhanallah this is right outside the masjid it's called baghama islam the masjid of islam oh. a mosque that i'd never been in and they stopped they stopped beating me and it was a miracle because the next moment that miracle manifested itself there was a police car that came around the corner <laughs> Wow. and they all ran off and yeah. i was arrested the police officer came and he arrested me yeah. um and then the the skinheads came around the car and i started swearing at them and i knew that that would you know in uh, make them more angry so they started hitting his car so he drove me down to the bottom of the road and told me get out and then eventually went to the, i went to the accident hospital with my father mm. and there i found several of these skinheads <laughs> we damaged them more than we thought so one with a broken yeah. nose one with bruises one with whatever and we were about to start to fight there and then i was arrested that was my first encounter with the law alhamdulillah the case against me was dropped um and the skinheads got charged with some kind of uh, assault but that was my first encounter mm. mashallah and that uh, that was like a personal uh, experience for you on the road to damascus moment moment or yeah i spent the night the, I, spent the, i spent the night in, in the police cell yeah. and i have to slept to say that still remember that um as a you know a waking up moment but i never felt bad mm-hmm. and my father never felt bad for what i'd done he never said that what you did was wrong you defended yourself and you fought against his racism alhamdulillah yeah. you've spoken about your father a lot in the past rahimahullah um yeah. what was his impact on you kind of uh, growing up and because you know a lot of people they <coughs> they look at your story and they think why the hell did this man not become a terrorist <laughs> you know like well, a lot if of you, people if you ask America or the British government they'd yeah. say well he did um, <laughs> yeah you know what's don't yeah. they let, never let the facts get in the way yeah. of a good demonization absolutely yeah. yeah but i mean mashallah i mean you've heard this all before you know that 
a lot of people they they go through the experience state kind of suppression and and, uh, uh, and repression of their rights and stuff and you know every man has his breaking point i suppose and they break and they become you know psychotic killers or something what do you think about yourself your own journey apart from or as you know how did it's obviously all in allah's hands you know guidance and keeping people steadfast but what what mechanisms do you think allah used to help you along your way that maybe we can draw lessons from well, you know, one of the verses that I often think about and quote and, and try to relate to is when Allah SWT says, Ya yulladheena amanu kunu qawwamin lillahi shuhada'a bil qistu la yajimannakum shana'ana qawmin ala illa ta'adilu a'adilu huwa aqrwidu taqwa That you believe and stand as just witnesses for Allah and do not allow mm-hmm. your animosity or hatred of people to cause you to be unjust towards them. So as a result of that, I, I th- always think this verse means to me that my oppressors, mm-hmm. my tormentors, my jailers, my abusers are not my teachers. Rasulullah the Sahaba, the Prophets, the Anbiya, and the Rasul, I take my lessons in life from them. Um, but to go back a little bit, actually a lot of my principles were taught to me by my father. My mm. father was, Allah uh, <coughs> he was not, I wouldn't call him a deeply practicing person, but he taught me some very important principles about Islam. Uh, mm. As a child, I, I used to go to a Jewish school and learn from the Torah, but when I come, came home, I'd go and do Quran classes. And my father would teach me about ancient um, stories from, the, from his family. Mm. Our family tree goes back 300 years. It says that uh, Mirza Abdurrahim Beg was a soldier in the army uh, of Aurangzeb, the last uh, Mughal wow. emperor. So mm. we have that shajara or that tree that goes mm. back. So he'd always tell me about where our lineage came from. And he was very proud about kind of a, a military history that mm. we were part of. And principles, he always used to tell me how he'd, he'd stand up for weaker and oppressed people in school or mm. where he's coming from. He grew up in India uh, during the partition period. And uh, he said, always stand up for the truth, always fight. Um, and never allow yourself to be bullied or cowed down. Mm. Uh, my father was a bank manager, he wasn't, and, but his background, he, he was brought up by a captain in the, in the army. Salaam guys, sorry to butt in. Eh? But if you're enjoying this podcast, please head over to islamtunnc.com forward slash donate to help us make more. And if you're not enjoying it, head over anyway and help us make better ones. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of people. Um, I found that about my own father as well, Rahimullah, when he passed away, that a lot of um, people, I mean, you, you wouldn't say kind of on superficially that this is a practicing person unless you followed him and saw him right. praying, reading Quran and stuff. But... One thing that a lot of people kind of said about him was just his um, his akhlaq of of wanting to help people, wanting going out of, going out of his way to yeah. help people, especially. I those think there's something with that generation yeah. um, that perhaps saw the partition, the effects of it, despite which, yeah. whichever side they stayed on. Uh, yeah, so was my yeah. father, yeah. Um, and uh, th- this sense of. Identity is very important mm. to them. They may believe they may be kind of in, in more secular than us. Um, but their principles, from my understanding, mm. the history of what they learned, the first time I ever heard the name of Khalid ibn Walid was from the Prophet from, from and the Prophet and his mm. was from my, my father. Yeah. Um, and indeed, uh, other famous characters, Muhammad al Ghazni, Salahuddin, all from my father, mm. who taught me through like bedtime stories. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, if, the, if there's anything I would like to say, I wish I'd heard more of that mm. as a child growing up, which I think we as, as, yeah. as parents should, should do a lot more of. So, as a parent, what kind of um, lessons do you did you re- kind of learn from your father about fatherhood? You know, I heard this um, really nice quote. 
I read it that um, by the time you realize your father was wrong, you've got a son. Te- by the time you realize your father was right, you've got a son telling you you're wrong. That's a brilliant <laughs> quote. That's a brilliant quote. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm always thinking about that, about thinking ahead because my kids, they're, they're not teenagers yet. You know, my eldest is almost 10. Mashallah. So I'm just thinking ahead, you know, how to. Because for me, the more important things um, are in, in Tarbiya in raising our children are not necessarily exactly what you tell them but the kind of messages that they just absorb from you and the feelings and the narratives and the stories uh, and the sentiments that you kind of imbue into them and I'm trying to think what was it about people in our father's generation you know you you, you kind of get a sense of uh, pride in your like you mentioned you know the, the, the lesson behind the lesson Mm-hmm. I.e., being confident in your identity, being proud of your who you are. And this is despite being in a, an overtly hostile place. Do you think it's because of that hostility that it made our the previous generation double down in preserving the identity and the and the iman and the the, the even in in your family mm. kind of tree? Is it because of that um, hostility? Um, I, I think that us, I, pr- I think they faced less hostility in terms of uh, um, because they weren't growing up with the kids competing for spaces, competing for um, um, power or money or wealth. They were kind of the immigrant generation, but for us, we were competing with local kids, and mm. uh, so that's where the animosity happened. And so we faced that. We were very. They, our parents, I think, were very clear in their identity. They knew exactly who they were. We were conflicted. Uh, British, Muslim, mm. Asian, Pakistani, Indian, whatever. Um, Wait, did, you, did your father and your mother, did they feel that they were going to go back home one day? or? Uh, so my mother died when I was six. Um, mm. uh, so there was none of that kind of... Mm. Uh, and going back home really was... My father and, and his family, they were Muhajir, so they made mm. hijrah from India proper, from Hyderabad, yeah. Dakkan, to uh, Pakistan. So... Then they made another hijrah. Another hijrah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think there was no sense of going back home. It was this is it. We planted our feet mm. here. This is where we're going to be. Um, the discussions about hijrah from Diyar al Islam to Diyar al Kufr didn't exist in that time yeah. at all. Nobody had that sense. It's you, you, this is home, um, and we lived in the UK as if it was home, uh, and that's how we were told. Uh, the resilience I think that those that, that his generation had um, was across the board. I hear it from, from, from many people and I think their resilience um, prepared, uh, for me, it's prepared me for, for my mm-hmm. life today. If I hadn't had a father who I had, I believe that I would have broken at the first hurdle. So growing up 70s, 80s Birmingham with all the racism you faced, um, all the kind of clashes in the streets, do you think that made you feel less welcome or even more resolute to put your, you know... Uh, I think a bit of both. I mean, I was... I was a bit of both being part of the gang because part, part of your generation is uh, is where the i think a lot of the uh, the discourse about hijrah and and going uh, into the muslim world somewhere to live or mm. establishing something in the muslim world somewhere to live that's that was the kind of um the kind of soil it was happening in which yeah, those seeds it, it, were planted, was def- right? it was definitely happening um I think that uh, you know, growing up at that time um, and seeking identity was one of the reasons why I started practicing Islam. Mm. It, it was, you know, a, a close friend of mine died uh, in, a, in mm. a very bad way, 
uh, and I questioned whether he would be going to Jannah or Jahannam I, and uh, that was a key trigger for me to start asking questions mm. about the akhirah about the hereafter about what happens to soul journey after death um, and also on a political level I was very active in, in my mind uh, the first Gulf War was taking place prior to that I thought about joining the army joining mm. the British army really yeah <laughs> because we were from a military tradition my father's yeah. generation was the only ones that weren't army but his father was a captain and his father fought in the first mm. world war and second world war and so forth um, so I thought about it but I, I contended with the concept of racism and I couldn't do it and when they invaded Iraq in 91 I think or 90 I couldn't see myself part of an army um, that would be killing Muslims even mm. though I wasn't practicing you know, and that was part of my mm. recognition and journey and, and then later the whole conflict in Bosnia made me connect to the wider concept of Ummah that are, that are white Slavic blonde-haired blue-eyed indigenous Mus- Muslims living in Europe um, against whom there's the biggest genocide since World War II so I yeah. went to Bosnia about six or seven times during the war yeah And is that in that process is that the process which you um, kind of became more aware about your Islam and practicing and yeah so absolutely so you know to to help the Muslims I couldn't so I, one mm. of the things I started to do when I met Bosnian refugees and I heard of their horror stories about the mass rape camps about mm. um, razor blades using to, used to slit children's throats because the Serb soldiers mm. didn't want to waste mm. bullets for me I wanted to do something I, I grew up learning the martial arts and I started mm. teaching some of them in the local masjid Um, just as a kind of a response um, and then later I, I took several convoys uh, and I, mm. I you know for a period of time I joined the Mujahideen in, in Bosnia I mm. make no contention or bones about that um, but that was all part of you can't do those things without knowing how to pray without knowing yeah. how to fast without knowing how to better and purify yourself and so forth so that was a, a, a simultaneous journey for mm. me I mean uh <laughs> and uh, we've had a few people uh, you know who've been I thought to you were going to say we've had a few then okay. <laughs> a few people uh, who've been to Bosnia and you know even on the podcast as well talking about that time period mm-hmm. Babur Ahmed for example yes um, we you know we had a, an article on uh, San Trinity called Returning Jihadis Aren't That Bad I Used To Be One by <laughs> Abdul Rahim Green yeah yeah yeah, yeah so Um, and and it's it's refreshing to hear people refer to that as jihad and and mujahideen and stuff because right now as you know because of the war on terror and mm-hmm. and and the, just the control and the, the choke and suffocation of of muslim discourse um the word jihad has become synonymous yeah. with terrorism in yeah. the western lexicon but not it will never be in ours it's muqaddas yeah. it is sacred in in our in our belief in our um mm-hmm. in our fiqh Uh, it, it can't be denigrated it can't be misconstrued mm. it can't be changed to what it is and neither can it be hijacked by people yeah. who, who want to kill innocent people and to say that this is mm. jihad it can't it, jihad will remain ila yawm al-qiyam until the um, day of judgment a pristine yeah. muslim belief what do you think the future is though for jihad because well i just said yeah. the professor said my belief said in the hadith that al-jihad madin ila yawm al-qiyam it's mm. continuous until the day of judgment and of course one of the you know all the books of fiqh you know people say that you know jihad can mean the internal struggle and all of those true but if you pick up pick up any books of fiqh mm. uh, and uh, hadith the the kutub of jihad and maghazi they talk about military jihad they're not yeah. talking about the daily struggle to go and take your kids to school um so it's very specific about mm. that and as long as there are scholars who maintain that classic yeah. orthodox position it can never be changed the real issue will be mm. um 
do we allow the west to determine what is good and what is bad yeah. jihad was good at the time of the soviet occupation of of uh, afghanistan and they were making films like rambo 3 yeah. you haven't Even seen Sylvester it Stallone, yeah. uh, exactly that exactly helped out the, helped out the taliban or something. Said, well the forebears of the taliban <laughs> the forebears, yeah, yeah. Um, so Proto. even recently the uh, in Libya the, the the RAF was bombing in support mm. of Al Jama'a Al Islamiyah Muqatila in Libya which is this Libyan Islamic fighting group so yeah. jihad will constantly be used by the west for their own aims and objectives um But we have to own our own narrative exactly, and our exactly, own discourse exactly. and that's something we we try I don't know if you know the famous uh, um poem by Lord Tennyson called uh, the charge of the light brigade all right yeah yeah Well, the charge of the light brigade... Cannon to the left of them. Exactly. Cannon to the right of them. Exactly. So <laughs> this, this charge of the light brigade done in the Crimea war by the British in support of the Ottoman Khilafah mm. against the Russians, right? Yeah. So the British were fighting as auxiliaries or support net, as a support yeah. for the Khilafah, i.e. they were supporting the jihad. Mm. So there are many many instances throughout history. World War One, the fatwa was given... to British Indian soldiers if you go and fight against the Khilafah <laughs> <laughs> you're doing jihad um, so yeah. the British and the Americans and everybody else will utilize the concept of jihad whenever it suits their purpose the problem is what we need to do and now it's called jihad jihad yeah. it actually sounds you know, sound like one of yeah. those Yankee uh, was it the Yankee um, Yankee chant or yeah. um, what's it, I can't remember what it's called jihad jihad yeah, yeah. jihad there you go there you go <laughs> Um, so yeah it's uh, we just need to take control of yeah. our narrative and our, and our scholars need to be bold enough and brave enough and mm-hmm. true to the to the word of the Quran and the sunnah so but one of the problems as you've uh, as cage your organization has rightly highlighted and I forgot to introduce you obviously you're the one of the directors of cage oh it's like so uh, almost <laughs> half an hour into the conversation you start to introduce <laughs> mashallah tabarakallah what's your role in uh, your something director right no uh, i am permanent uh, terrorism suspect okay yeah, permanent <laughs> terrorism suspect yeah. pts yeah, yeah okay Uh, so Cage obviously is that you know one of the organizations that we work closely with and 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 always highlights you know um, the 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 problems of excessive anti-terrorism legislation and so mm-hmm. forth. Yeah. And one of the problem, one of the consequences of that is Muslims feel um, scared to talk about their deen. And when somebody is young, he's he's looking at. you know the his brothers and sisters being oppressed and uh, on the tv and in the news and uh, all kinds of horrific things happening from rohingyas to syria to uh, east turkestan to kashmir the list goes on philistine that person that young brother he may be a young version of you like in the 90s was looking at what's happening in the bosnian uh, war uh, or genocide where is he going to go you know he goes to the masjid the people are scared the imams are very scared the committees are very scared because they all register charities and the charity commission is you know got its yeah. tentacles on controlling what kinds of narratives that they're allowed to uh, you know talk about um a lot of people who should be the ones that people go towards to get you know um guidance how do you react islamically to this what does allah want you to do when you see oppression how do you uh, constructively make a difference or help people alleviate oppression all of those people many brother young brothers and sisters even they find that nobody's talking about that yeah. right because they're scared because you know um they feel under pressure that don't talk about politics in the masjid so as a result uh, unless it's your local mp yeah, coming for a visit of course then you know <laughs> local yeah. local politicians are all yeah. right yeah uh but where do these young people go then 
Well, so they, they that, have to turn to... Yeah. So that's yeah. the question. They go to unorthodox places on the internet mm. where they have no way of knowing what is genuine, what isn't, and uh, things are put out that uh, sometimes you'll find in some of these propaganda videos mm. that uh, they bring images from a place that's not even connected to what's happening. I mean, the truth is bad enough. You don't, even, yeah. you don't need to doctor the truth. Uh, but some people will do that just to get the message across. Um, my view on this is that Islam was not built... And in fact, no organizational movement was ever built on cowardice. And if our masajid, if our imma, if our leaders are besotted by cowardice and are doing things because they are afraid, um, mm. then that isn't, you are not then the inheritors of the Anbiya. You are not then the inheritors of the Prophet. Prophets, mm. because there's not one Prophet that came without a test, a severe test in some cases, um, mm. that became an example for us. Uh, so, if you look at movements around the world, I mean, the most, the most celebrated man in the world arguably today was Nelson Mandela, mm. who convicted as a terrorist um, for armed resistance against the apartheid regime of South Africa. Mm. And at his sentencing, he says that this is a principle that I've lived all my life for and is one that I'm prepared to die for. Mm. The world celebrates him not because he gave in and because he capitulated. They mm. celebrate him because of the price he paid and was prepared to pay. Um, until Muslims can celebrate mm. those who struggle for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who stick to a principle and are prepared to pay the price if necessary. And I'm, mm. I think in places like Britain, the price is, you know, it's, uh, the Daily Mail is going to write an article about you. Would I wear that with a badge of honor <laughs> rather than um, think that that's mm. going to affect me in a negative way. But until our leaders... I mean, that's the irony because over here in Britain, we have... Alhamdulillah, despite all of the ridiculous uh, you know, policies such as prevent and stuff, we have um, much more uh, uh, of an ability to speak the truth. I than say this as somebody who's been imprisoned by the yeah. Americans, imprisoned yeah. by the British in Belmarsh, held in secret detention sites. I still say, what are they going to do to you? Mm. I mean, honestly, I say that. What are they going to do to you? And uh, if, if we can't celebrate... I don't, don't yeah. mean the nutters who are going around and killing and, and mm. uh, uh, encouraging people to kill innocent people. I mean people of principle that stand up for principle, defend the principles of mm. Islam. Um, and there are many more, as, as we know, that the, the boundaries are being pushed across Europe. Uh, if it's not halal food, if it's not the hijab, if it's not the niqab, if it's not uh, Muslim education or the introduction yeah. of um, uh, SRE and so forth, all mm. infringing upon and bit by bit through attrition taking on the Islamic parameters, mm. who's in the forefront from the Muslims? And you can see that that's, that number is, is, is um, becoming less and less. Yeah. Most people are saying, come on, let's become part of the, the processes that are, that are undermining Islam in yeah. order to get in there. Well, I'm sorry, these are, these are governments and nations that have ruled the world. Do you think you're going to just get in there and uh, change it from within? What's going to stop yeah. you from changing within? And we've found that that's what happens most yeah. of the time, in my view. Assalamualaikum guys, me again, reminding you to head over to islam21c.com forward slash donate to keep the lights on on Islam21c. We pride ourselves on being independent and being funded by the grassroots community. I mean, I really, um, I, I'm always criticizing people who, you know, are um, kind of just brushing aside imams and scholars and stuff and calling them sellouts and whatever, as using general broad brushstrokes. Sure. But we do need to speak to, I mean... Um, even myself, I regard myself because I am a khatib at local masjid and stuff, and I try to. I, I see it as as 
Don't make excuses now. Don't make excuses now that you're in front of me. That's it. I got you. I see it as there's a place we need to criticize our khatibs. And I'm one of them. You know, even me, sometimes I feel, should I say this on because the masjid I'm going to is a registered charity or whatever. And we need that kick sometimes to say, look, the worst that can happen. Is is far less ben- far more benign than you you're thinking in your head, but the thing is with this type of chilling effect, um, the authorities I think uh, uh, in my opinion my, my experience rather they they take the path of least resistance. So if you as an organisation allow prevent to come in, for example, if you as an organisation as a masjid prevent has no jurisdiction anywhere outside public bodies anyway, right. like official public bodies mm-hmm. a masjid. You know, uh, madrasa, whatever. You can just say, get lost if anyone from Prevent turns up. And you can be nice about it if you want or not, but you can just say, get lost. You have no jurisdiction here, you know. Even in universities, we've, we've been arguing, as you know, about the case and yeah. so forth. Yeah. But if you volunteer kind of uh, compliance and acquiescence, yeah. then you get flagged as, okay, this is someone, you know, we can we can use. And, and some people mistakenly think that if we, you know, cooperate with Prevent, with our masjid, um, just to get things done, they'll leave us alone. No, the uh, the opposite is in fact the case. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a bit of a theory, and I might yeah. be wrong with this theory totally, right? But the majority of people in this country come from the Indian subcontinent. And um, other than the 1857 so-called mutiny, there really mm-hmm. was no rebellion against the occupation by Britain until a half-naked fakir called Gandhi came along <laughs> and rocked the British Empire through his... Uh, and you know, non-violent resistance. But where was the resistance to the occupation? And I find there was none in my mm. thread of history other than from the Northwest Frontier region. We are the inheritors of that. So we have to ask ourselves a very, very important question. Have we inherited cowardice? And if that is the case, how do we teach ourselves to be brave? Um, Hamza radiallahu anhu was known as Asadullah, as the Lion of Allah. He was known as a warrior. And for him to do acts of bravery, was normal. He's Sayyid al-Shuhada. Mm, but Abdullah ibn Mas'ud who had the legs, thin legs, mm. like a, like twigs. And he was made fun of. For him to go out into and to defend Islam yeah. required a, a greater act of bravery. So you can be taught bravery. You mm. can be taught to be strong through uh, other brave people that are around you. But I think we've inherited uh, cowardice. And it's Evident in the hadith of Rasulullah when he described Al Wahan, when he said, You'll be like the filth, the scum of the mm. flood water. Many, the Sahaba asked, Will we be few in number when you are humiliated in this way? And they said, No, mm. you're going to be having your hearts Al Wahan. And they said, Love of, of life. And hatred of the hereafter, hatred of dying. Mm. So I think uh, part of this is our deep attachment to the dunya, deep attachment to the dunya, which mm. makes us so afraid. Do you think this? I, I don't. Uh, that's a compelling theory, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> how we inherited cowardice? Yeah. Uh, I thought I used to think it was maybe every kind of immigrant generation. It's like a uh, Anastakriti, Doctor Anastakriti. He was talking about. A few weeks ago, he was talking about kind of textbook immigrant communities. You know, mm-hmm. first generation is kind of 
compliant, keep your head yeah, down, just yeah. you know, follow the rules. Second generation is a bit more radical. Third I mean, I may be totally wrong. I'm just yeah. kind of comparing. You know, at the same yeah. time, the Zulus were defeating the yeah. British in Islandwana and the Rocks Drift, and the, the Mahdi's armies were fighting yeah. um, in Sudan, and Abdul Qadir was fighting the French, and in, in, and Imam Shamil was fighting the Russians, yeah. and and we were, you know, we were creating but organizations there were, there that, were. that kind. Of, sorry, we were creating yeah. organizations that. Um, redefined, reinterpreted the mm. meaning of jihad, for example, as a resistance. So that's what, what was going on in yeah. the Indian subcontinent. But there were scholars and, and, and people who were just shipped off to, what was that place? Yeah, yes, uh, Malta. Uh, Malta. Yeah, the, yeah the Blackwater, the place of the... Uh, yeah. the, the, uh, the, the yeah. it, that's mentioned in the book Prisoners of Malta, right? Yeah. Um, but there were a handful, one or two, mm. as, a mo- as a country. Like the I lot mean, the whole, for example, Diobandi Madrasa, was it set up in order to, in, initially, to counter... The changes uh, of the deen. Mm. Well, arguably, but there were mm. also organizations without naming that were set up to change the actual meaning of the term jihad. Mm. To, the, the, to, to not mean resistance, to become apolitical mm. and pacified. And that is part of our inheritance. Yeah. I think that is also a sign of the, the kind of intelligence of British colonialism, <laughs> I can say that, compared to French, uh, which was just completely wipe out people rather than act like you're their friend, help, you know, um, get, get embed yourself into communities mm. and, and that kind of stuff. But it's, it's compelling, it's compelling um, uh, theory. Indeed, uh, wh- wh- where, d- where do you think the trajectory is going, though, for now? Okay, so from your experience of being in the Muslim community since you became practicing, since you were involved in, in, the, in organizations and in, in, in the Muslim civil society, you can call it that, What's the trajectory? Do you think people are getting more cowardly or we're getting more brave and I, I heroic? Th- I'd like to think and, and uh, more optimistic. Uh, well, the good-looking part, um, you know, questionable. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, uh, I'd like to think and like to see, I've seen that mm. when I returned from Guantanamo, it was mostly non-Muslim organizations that were campaigning on the issue of Guantanamo. Muslims tended to be terrified yeah. because back then, I don't know if you remember, the Guantanamo prisoners were seen to be untold by Bush that these are the worst of the yeah. worst, most dangerous people on the planet. So mm. I can say to you, Salman is boo, watch your back. <laughs> um, but seriously speaking, um, over time, since those laws, there's been a Guantanamoization of laws in Europe and Britain, slowly but yeah. surely, based on secret evidence, our light rights being removed in various laws that have passed through to the point yeah. at which nationalities of Muslims are being revoked en masse. Mm. Um, and so Muslims have started to see that slowly. Maybe in the beginning they didn't want to, and now they are forced and to. And that's caused them to wake up. It's war- yeah, and we've seen yeah. this through a swell of, of, of support for CAGE around the country, uh, our events are jam-packed wherever, by Allah's grace, wherever we turn is up. Is it and mostly speak. younger people, though? Yes, a lot. Yeah, that, it is. The, it is the youth in the yeah. universities and beyond. So, um, um, mm. sort of community events jam-packed um, with Muslims from across the board, from whatever, yeah. whichever school of thought they happen to come from. Um, and that's the thing that I've always believed in and worked for uh, uh, since my return is that we need to be unified mm. as much as we can to the lowest common denominator. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people say is Muslims are going through something similar, perhaps worse, of course worse, yeah, than um, what the Irish community went through during the time of the Troubles and the IRA and that kind of stuff. And I think there's a lesson in that for us because, I mean, I know I was just a kid back then, (laughs) but um, I'm not sure many Muslim organizations would campaign for 
you know, the internment of Irish people. Well, we didn't campaign for it, we campaigned yeah. against it. Again, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think I, we did I, that either. So I've been to Northern Ireland many mm. times. I opened, I actually had the honour of opening the Museum of Free Derry, which was the site at which the Bloody Sunday Massacre took place. Mm. And I've met with many former prisoners and people who've been part of that movement. And one thing you'll see is that they celebrate their prisoners. They've mm. got museums that are dedicated to the struggle of the Irish Republicans, whether you agree with them or disagree with mm. them. Their most famous man is a guy called Bobby Sands who went on to hunger strike and died hunger striking. He won. I mean, this is, this is a lesson for our MPs over here. Mm. He won the seat for Sinn Féin as the MP, then refused to take it, saying that I refuse your government's um, um, imposition of itself on my land i just wanted to show you that i could win yeah. <laughs> um the point about this that is, is that, a, that that is a boss maneuver there, exactly yeah. and he died for his beliefs yeah. so did 10 others um so as a community they supported you mm. know when the raids used to take place in the streets the women used to come out with the dustbin lids that used to be made of metal in those yeah. they used to bang them on the street to warn their menfolk that the british army is coming along and the ruc mm. are coming along to arrest you to detain you without charge or trial mm. and intern you um Unfortunately, internment has happened in Britain. Yeah. 16 men in, after 9-11, um, North African, Middle Eastern, were detained in Belmarsh without charge or trial. Mm. There wasn't a hoot from the Muslim community. There yeah. were other organizations um, who were talking about that detaining people without charge or trial is, is unconstitutional, but Muslims were not talking about it at all. Mm. So that's a far cry from you know, complaining about non-Muslims being affected yeah, even even if uh, you know Muslim, your fellow Muslims are being affected, and your community is quiet. That's uh, yeah. but I mean, right now, I think this is an important lesson for us to remember that we you know we talk about first they came for the Muslims, and that kind of <laughs> they didn't come to Muslims first. First, they came from a bunch of other people. <laughs> they came for everybody yeah. else first. So and then they honed in their skills, yeah. and actually, one of the things I learned from the Irish is that they used the, what's known as the five torture techniques on mm. what's known as the hooded men. They were 11 hooded men from the Irish Republican prisoners who were subjected to torture techniques. Those torture techniques were perfected on them and then the, as a template used on us in Guantanamo. Mm. Um, so again, we remain silent on those issues. They come back to mm. hurt us and we wonder why nobody's coming to help us. Yeah, but again, you're thinking the, the trajectory is a good one because you know, we want to present an empowering narr narrative to, to activate people. As I said, you know, we need to find our, our heroes mm. from amongst our communities. There are different ones, brothers, sisters who've taken a stance, who've done things, mm. and we see them on our Could social media. Can you give some examples? Of not mentioning names if you don't want, but just to give... Uh, I mean, th there are several people. There's a sister, for example, you know, she was teaching her uh, in, in her class at school. Uh, she chose, she said that uh, showing children videos of the 9-11 attacks... Oh, yeah. um, was not appropriate for yeah. kids that are under, un, you know, a, a primary age. And mm. she fought, and alhamdulillah, she won, and she took a, she took a position. And yeah. they tried to say that uh, she's uh, connected to radical organisations. She went to school in Al Amrok, as if that in itself was <laughs> something, um, oh, that which, which, which could be, which is possible, <laughs> right? Um, but all of those things, she took a stance, yeah. and alhamdulillah, she won her case. And so there, there are people who take little signs, as yours, of course, of, mm. of your position of how you were called, quote-unquote, mm. extremist and something that can't be... So as long as we can't... Something that can't be defined. <laughs> as long as we've got individuals that stand up mm. um, against uh, oppression in whatever mm. form it is, and I'd say these are light forms of oppression, and Absolutely, then we have yeah. others, individuals, like my best friend Shakir Amar, he was mm. in Guantanamo for 14 years without charge mm. or trial. Imagine, you can't imagine that, he has children born and raised in Battersea in, in London and he walks amongst us. This is like, most people can't imagine what he's mm. gone through, but he'll never pass a person without a smile. 
Is he still in the UK? Yeah, of course, alhamdulillah. We, we, mm. we meet regularly. And uh, my point about mm. somebody like him, if he, ever, if he was to give you an advice, he'd just say, keep smiling. Mm. Never give up your smile. Tabassal fi waji akhika sadaqa. You know, smiling face for your brother is a sadaqa. Mm. And you, to look at him and all the other Guantanamo prisoners that I, that I speak to mm. from around the world, it's the same thing again and again and again. They've become, they may not have been the best of people from before, but mm. after their experience, they've become an example. And I think it's important for us to mm. celebrate those who struggled in our community the way that others have do you think they've um, they've they they receive the kind of uh, welcome they do they should they on deserve a community be- on, a community? on a community level yes i mean when i walk with shaka for example or some of the other brothers in in places they, they know, come they and take selfies they kept face you know <laughs> they you know he's from medina and he kind of laps yeah. that up so you know yeah. they kiss his hand and <laughs> but alhamdulillah you know this is a uh, it's a yeah. it's a na'ma it's a blessing people are mm-hmm. they say I said, brother, we, we really can't do anything. Meaning, I'm too afraid to do anything mm. openly, but I have, you know, I support you guys. And we get that so much, um, it's hard to quantify. Yeah. I mean, this, this, the, the act of giving moral support is so important. I mean, um, I'll talk a bit so you can take a sip of your bubble tea. Mm, a uh, sip or, or a bite? Um, uh, I think this from is. this uh, lovely Quaker Street coffee and bubble tea, who've uh, <laughs> kindly given us this. Uh, this is something uh, that you nice eat menu. and drink at the same yes. time, right? So you chew it. So uh, it's it's the first time I'm trying it because uh, I had a bad experience with bubble tea in the past, not from here, somewhere else. But uh, it's very quite nice, mashallah. I think you'll get ten percent off if you mention Islam Twenty One C, and they won't they won't go to me. So <laughs> if you don't like me, you can still come and uh, benefit from the uh, the discount. Assalamualaikum guys, last reminder I promise, head over to islam21c.com forward slash donate to help this movement get to the next level. So we have genuine, high quality media articulating Islam in the 21st century and developing confident Muslims impacting the world for the better. How's Ali Al-Marri? I, I wanted to talk about I haven't spoken to him well. for a while, but Ali Al-Marri, yeah. alhamdulillah, he's, he's good. Interestingly... There's a film that just come out. It's called The Report. If if anybody mm. hasn't seen it, they should. It's on Amazon, and it's about the report. The, yeah, the report. It's mm. about the process that certain investigators from a United States senator's office um, managed to produce a report on the CIA and the torture program that carried out uh, mm. against Abu Zubaydah and and uh, others, in which they waterboarded and tortured um, over 119 prisoners. Yeah. There's a character in there. Who's uh, called Ali Sufan? Who's supposed to be? Who was the? Inter- oh yeah. yes, yes, yes. So Ali Sufan now has maneuvered himself to yeah. be the the good guy in the amongst the FBI. But we know, mm. I know from my own experience, and indeed in Ali Murray's case, is that the mm. FBI were directly involved in the torture on of, US on soil, my so- on, on US soil, yeah. uh, and off US soil. So um, Ali Sufan is in that, and he's seen to be as he's yeah. maneuvered himself as a kind of the good guy that's against torture. Um, it's a good film to watch to to see what the process was that they had to go through to mm. find how the torture program was developed and then and then executed. Yeah. Um, but what it doesn't do is, again, humanize the prisoners. It, they're just, just a bunch of bearded guys yeah. who, are, who are being tortured, and well, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about dehumanization recently with uh, Dr. Uthman Latif. Uh, his, um, his, his postdoctoral research is on that, it's on empathy and conflict, and... And uh, dehumanization as well. And Inshallah. one of the things that, I, 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 uh, that struck a chord with me and rang a bell when I heard you talking about when they would bring you into uh, a new kind of prison, or I think it was Bagram or Guantanamo, they said they'd sha- they, you said they shaved your, your beard. beard. Yeah. And um, 
they, you know, obviously they strip people, they shave them, and they just put a number to them. Yeah. And uh, he said that was something that was very um, consciously done by or, or, or advised by uh, Adolf Eichmann and people like that in Nazi Germany. That when the the Jews were brought into the concentration camp, stripped them naked, starved them, so so their physical appearance doesn't appear human to you. Yeah. Because then, because human beings are natural. The fitra is what it it we we tend to recognize humanity in, in, in a fellow human being, and it seems in order to be a camp, uh, an X-ray guard or whatever they the different camps in background whatever, in order to have someone in that position, you need to have an a kind of an intense um, process of dehumanization and othering yeah. of of the the yeah. the yeah. So this is um, of course, as I said, I went to a Jewish school as a child, so I knew many mm. kids who'd gone through, or their parents rather had gone through, or grandparents had gone through the Holocaust, and uh, so I had a, a very strong sense mm. of dehumanization and what that can lead to. I also heard from my father the story of the, the death carriages. When he was um, migrating from, pa- from mm. India to Pakistan, which he saw, mm. um, so I had I had a sense of that, um, and uh, when uh, we went through the process of being stripped naked, uh, sh- beard shaved, hair shaved, and watching it happen to somebody else and being violated physically mm. and dragged around naked, your clothes ripped off with a knife, and soldiers taking photographs and laughing, that's exactly what went in my head. The first mm. thing I could, the only thing I could relate to, was Nazi concentration camps. And that imagery, I couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. Um, as somebody brought up in the West, and not to say that what they did to us was anything near what the Nazis did. Of course, it wasn't. It was 21st century. Mm. But uh, when I was contacted by an American guard, Chris Arendt, that's exactly what he said. He said I felt that like I had become the Nazi concentration camp guard that I'd used to read about when I was young. You mentioned though that some of them became Muslim even. Yeah, of you course. Yeah, yeah. So. There, you know, there, there's, there, it seems that if there's some good in someone, and we see this in the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu as well, that they said, uh, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Sheikh Yasir Qadi in his seerah, I think, he mentioned, you know, every mushrik that there was some good in was eventually guided to Islam. You know, of course, even I mean, though they opposed, they fought against the Prophet, yeah. they tried to kill the Prophet. I'd go beyond that and say mm. there were even mushrikeen who didn't come to Islam who defended Islam, and the biggest yeah. example of that is Abu Talib. Yeah. And so, we have within, within this community mm. and within the lawyers for Guantanamo prisoners yeah. many non Muslims, some are atheists, some are Jews who defended the brothers to the bone, to the teeth, and they're not Muslims. Who are actually guards? Yeah. The well, you know, there's a whole series of them. There's, there's yeah. soldiers, there yeah. were soldiers who embraced Islam there and then there are soldiers who embraced Islam after and all because of their experience in contact with Mm. Guantanamo prisoners there are lawyers I know I mean in some cases lawyers who'd been working on death row cases and had campaigned with Martin Luther King that when they came across Guantanamo prisoners or their defenders from the Muslim community they they, they not only accepted Islam they went on the Hajj Mm. just before they died so there are there are multiple cases I've come across there's too many to list where former Guantanamo guards have contacted me and said that I used to serve there and I became a Muslim as a result of co- uh, my contact with the prisoners. What what um, what what, uh, what kind of contact? I mean, did the prisoners just give them dawah? Literally, I mean, sometimes it's a bit more. Well, so there's one sister. I remember she she's contacted me and she's got a hijab picture on on, on Facebook. She says, "Brother, were you in Guantanamo?" I said, "Yes." She said, "So was I." I said, "Well, there weren't any females in Guantanamo <laughs> as prisoners." She said, "I wasn't a prisoner." 
and she said I was one of your guards and then she explained the story um I saw how the weak amongst you was made stronger by other prisoners my own experience was that when of religion was that when I I uh, feel sad or upset or targeted um I turn to drink drugs alcohol boys etc but you guys turned to your religion and became even stronger and for me that was kind of laid the seed of love of islam in my heart allah akbar and uh, so there are there are multiple mm-hmm. stories which it's too many to actually tell you uh, of of people who either became muslims or became so sympathetic to muslims mm-hmm. there's a case of steve now recently who's gone to mauritania to meet with muhammad walid salahi who's in guantanamo for 14 years he converted to islam in the desert um with the with him and they i think now filming together making a film about his experience so there are too many to tell um mm. and uh, in the end the brothers will say to you if i was the cause of one person coming to islam then those 14 years are more than worth it no better than red camels yeah just you know yuriduna liyutfiu nur allah bi afwahihim wallahu mutimnuri wa lawkaril kafirun they want to stamp out the light of Allah but Allah will perfect his light even if they, they the pagans detest it yeah subhanallah yeah. um how are they treated the, those tr- those guards or it varies soldiers? from it varies from place to place one of the brothers for example um, there was one brother yeah, some, some some might interpret it as treason well <laughs> one of the brothers he actually came here to yeah. um to, to to the UK and then we traveled I traveled with him to Dubai and we did an mm. event actually which was about the the mirrored experience of of um of ourselves and uh, they let he, you into Dubai They did at the time yes yes they did um and uh we had like hundreds of people turn up to the event because it was fascinating to see two sides yeah. um but he later wrote a book called traitor with a question mark because that's how he was treated mm-hmm. um everybody hasn't had the same experience but um i think mm-hmm. even sheikh yasser qadi met, met with him not long ago mm-hmm. and explained how how meeting him was fascinating knowing that he'd been a soldier and he converted in guantanamo allah yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember what I was going to say now when you were talking about uh you know when you you're uh walking with uh, Shaykh Ahmad and people giving messages of support I said I was saying that uh, one one day when when the issue of Rabbani happened when he got arrested for refusing to give up a password and that was actually linked to Ali Al-Marri's case mm-hmm. he had um a case files of Ali Al-Marri who was a torture victim whose case they were working on so mysteriously he had uh, you know he was asked for um passwords to to those files and he mm-hmm. refused that principle and he uh, got a terrorism conviction out of it um, yeah that's that's lapsed now yeah. but i say often you know in a joke here that uh, i may have been to bagram guantanamo belmarsh <laughs> and secret prisons but i have a clean record rabani on the other hand is a convicted terrorist and we laugh about that but yeah. i'm the last not getting a password yeah exactly uh, but his his his, his mm. conviction has lapsed yeah. now so he's no longer he's not a terrorist anymore not a terrorist he's anymore. one of the good guys now i guess well you know, i don't think he'd be a good guy if you put yeah. a cage but that's That's part but, of a uh, badge he, of honor as well. He's got a he's got a potential career as a reformed extremist now if he wants to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about but, that. But uh, one thing Sheikh Sheikh Haith mentioned uh, when that happened, he said don't underestimate the importance of giving moral support to your brothers and sisters. Um because even Allah gave the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam moral support. So but I remember when uh, ma anta bi ni'mati rabbika bi majnun. 
Allah is saying you are not a madman. They're saying that this, 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 and that. You, by the permission, by the blessing of your Lord, are not a madman. Yeah. Rather, you have the best character, and so on. And Allah praise and, the process. And, and in that regard, I remember the brothers when Rabani, despite mm-hmm. him going to the police station and being facing those charges and the conviction, the brothers turned up outside the court <laughs> with chocolates and flowers, flowers and celebrating. I remember that people were and so it was, shocked. And they were shocked. Like, and so we saw that as a moral victory <laughs> because you're now saying that yeah. basically terrorism. Which is the use of violence for an ideological aim? Um, well, where's the violence here? Where's the ideological? Yeah. This is protecting somebody's rights, trying to seek justice through the courts uh, and media mm. about a person who alleges torture by uh, Americans, and now you're a convicted terrorist for doing mm. that. That's that's the ludicrousness right. of, of the of the law. Yeah. One thing I remember from that story uh, of Ali Al Marri, because I spoke to him, uh, we wrote some articles about his case, is that. Um, when he was being uh, tortured, he was the one torturing his torturer. You know, he was, um, uh, you know, refusing to cooperate. He was, he was making the other guy go crazy. Yeah, he's resisting. Know. It's the resistance. Resisting, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so they they try to interpret that as also an, an act of extremism. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's it's an act of resistance, and we mm. can't we can't underplay the role of resistance when somebody's being abused um, and. Yeah. Uh, there is a there is a time to be silent and there's a time to resist and I think that resistance that mujahada mm-hmm. uh, um, is very important yeah. when we learn it from the horse's mouth as it were from people who are there in the face of uh, abusers and mm. uh, resisting fighting against that that mm. uh, that, uh, that abuse. What do you think the future holds now? So I mean, on one angle, uh, I'm not going to ask you to predict anything. You know. <laughs> No betting man or anything, okay. but uh, from one perspective, you know the the trajectory is good for the Muslim community in that we're becoming, especially our younger brothers and sisters, are more outspoken. They, you know, they they find less resistance to in themselves and less cowardice to speak out for their rights and so forth. Uh, I think it's fair to say that our community is feeling more like citizens and not subjects. Um, whereas maybe you know this cowardice that you talked about before. Feeling like you know you have to just acquiesce to any any uh, authority being placed over you. Younger brothers and sisters are more radical, which is a good thing. Um, they you know they um, holding the authorities to account. They're speaking out for their rights. Um, so that's alhamdulillah good good trajectory that we want to encourage and we want to kind of nurture in our younger brothers and sisters. But when you look around at you and you look at the rise of the far right in Europe, you know, Boris and I've said Trump. You know uh, his t- statements about torture as well. Mm-hmm. It works. I'm going to use waterboarding and stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you think the future holds in that regard? I mean, uh, who knows? You know, uh, the the soul doesn't know what will transpire tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But despite that, I think we can see on the one hand that uh, I think we're past that initial fear phase. We've seen that the war on terrorism is a is a perpetual war that will continue for decades on end. Um, these are the longest wars in the histories of these countries, including the United States, that has fought in every part of the world you can imagine. And that's by design. That's I by think. design, yes. Yeah. Um, so this will be perpetual, and it means that Muslims, by nature, by by definition, they will have to uh, um, rise to the call. People will rise from amongst us, um, and when that rising happens, then there will be a greater oppression. That's also going to happen. Um, so we have to be prepared, and we have mm. to prepare our future generations. In that knowledge, uh, don't oppress and do not be oppressed. Those are equally from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, injunctions that we should mm. know that d- don't harm people, 
don't allow somebody to harm you and uh, we will have to rise not because of ourselves but because our deen in itself is being bit by bit undermined mm. whether it's in the west or whether it's in the east and uh, you know in in east turkestan it's blatant yeah. renounce the shahada eat pork drink mm. alcohol have um uh, pronounce the or sing the communist party manifesto here it's bit by bit mm. um of course it's worse it's the in the same first. discourse that's being applied the discourse is the same and mm-hmm. uh, xi jinping the head of china actually said recently he, he said that we need to use the narrative that george bush used after 9/11 yeah. in order to um to say that these people are terrorists mm. so everybody's using the same narrative and we need to repel mm. it um with with wisdom with mawat al hasana um but also with words that are strong and straight and true mm-hmm. i mean um uh, one thing that a lot of people want to hear some practical guidance on is how to, how we can help our weaker brothers and sisters in east turkestan um i mean you, you referred to them a few times and i and I, i had this in my mind as well to speak to you about i mean what what practical um advice do you give young brothers and sisters people listening watching okay so i'm close to the weegers for one reason only and that is because mm-hmm. there was 22 of them held in guantanamo with us and some of them i speak to them regularly uh, and uh, in really birmingham there's one family mm-hmm. in birmingham who who i who i speak to regularly and um of course when you look at their experience they say guantanamo in relatively <laughs> relatively speaking compared to yeah. um uh, what happens so there is 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 um you know it's tolerable yeah um and that's what they they that's why i've learned so much about yeah. what's happening with them and and i'm continuing to learn uh there is already a strong secular secularization of uyghurs taking place um the the fact that china can't even tolerate that meaning that they say they say islam is a, a mental disease mm. they want to eradicate it they put 3 million people through these re-education camps yeah. children are put into um orphanages while their parents are alive a person a han chinese non-muslim is sent to live in the family and in some cases sleep in the bed with uh, the family members the wife the children and to impose that sinoization mm. of these indigenous weaker mm. people uh, it's important people know you know a lot of ortodox f- uh, followers um but the original turks that's, that's them are. yeah that's yeah. them that's the, the someone said one uh, uyghur brother he said to me that east turkestan is the first world's first islamic republic yeah it, it was it, it, uh, it, yeah. even before obviously around before pakistan that's right yeah it was yeah. i think in the 1920s mm. they actually developed like they themselves so islamic the, the china invaded and occupied it and annexed it yeah. and called it the jingjiang province Yeah and Which is why it, one thing we try and do in some Chinese is is use the correct use the correct terminology yeah East Turkestan Yeah exactly and if you listen to the language it's a Turkic mm. language it's this is the language that's spoken right throughout yeah. uh Kazakhstan Uzbekistan Tajikistan Kyrgyz and right across all the way to Turkey and and that's the these are the forebears of that language yeah. So, so one thing is obviously raising awareness about what's happening that's something we should all do and even making inkaru munkar you know speaking out against something bad condemning something uh, evil that's in something desired islamically as well but is there something practically we can we can do in order to help yeah so there are the, there are a few organizations that have listed the and detailed like with any any mm. campaign or any anything your knowledge is power so if you go to something called bitter winter 
um.com it explains and details some of not just what's happening to the muslims what's happening to people of religion across the board in china so mm-hmm. th- the target are the muslims but christians are also being targeted yeah. and other religious groups um so take our information from there there are other um we recently caged this did a tour here with a sister who came from canada who spoke about very powerfully um mm. you can go onto the cage website and look at some of that, those videos about how she spoke about what happened to her family some of the guantanamo yeah. brothers and themselves coming over here not speaking about guantanamo but about their what happened to their families in, uh, there mm. so knowledge and that pressure now um the american mm. government has recently listed blacklisted heads of the chinese communist party and put sanctions against them um they're not doing it because they love the muslims but this yeah. is a political uh, thing Absolutely, that's taking yeah. place we just need to s- not to be played in all of this uh, recently i think the board british board of deputies of jews said that they you know they support the yeah. case against china which is all good and well but we don't want them to come along uh, speaking on an issue when yeah. they're already oppressing our brothers and sisters in palestine mm. um so we just need to be aware the enemy of the friend the, the enemy of my enemy is my frenemy frenemy <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay well i'm conscious of the time we need to get you to your next appointment but jazakallah khair for coming and i hope i went easy on you i didn't uh, didn't didn't it was a tough, too much trauma it was a tough tough interrogation but, uh, i think you've been through slightly worse and jazakallah khair and thank you at home for watching as well uh, if you like this podcast give a like and a share uh, if you made it to the end of the podcast then uh, let us know uh, so we know who the awesome people are um, write a comment below um And yeah, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Apple and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll see you next time. I've been your host Salman Bhatt. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, uh,